When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'll stop chewing at some point. Welcome to your Monday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Doug Lee Maurice and Nathan Baird. Nathan, uh, something a little different. We like to dip into the professional ranks from time to time to talk about what Buckeyes are doing there. And I will tell you, Nathan, this is a much more interesting and uh, deeply involved exercise than it would have been 10 years ago. There was a time basically before Urban Meyer got here where it was a, a little remarkable how, I don't want to say how little impact Ohio State players were making in the NFL, but they were like an awesome college program that wasn't producing a ton of NFL superstars, you know, in an era where, you know, Michigan's former co-quarterback was the best player in the NFL. So, I mean, it was kind of a weird thing. And now you do this, and especially on the defensive side of the ball, there are Buckeyes everywhere. And it's, it's a little different for us because for Cleveland.com, you know, we cover an NFL team. So we, I think, from our standpoint, don't cover the Ohio State guys in the NFL as much as maybe the Columbus Dispatch does or the sites that are all Ohio State, then it's like, hey, your favorite NFL guy might be a former Ohio State guy wherever he is, where it's like we're assuming we're writing for, writing and talking for an audience who cares about the Cleveland Browns. But, man, Nathan, there, there's a lot of dudes, aren't there? I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of fun to do an exercise like this. And what we're going to do is try to figure out, could a team of only Ohio State players win a Super Bowl? And you can make a team, Nathan, of only Ohio State players. You can make a team of only Ohio State players. Certainly, I'm I'm very curious to see uh, what you came up with and and how we judge them against, you know, whether that's enough, especially on both sides of the ball. But it's it's intriguing, um, and it's hard to for I think for someone who comes in from the outside to sort of imagine a time where Ohio State was relegated to maybe a lower status as far as its NFL alumni. But it, it's also you know, I think you're right. The, the Urban Meyer era, it just changed the way that the, the kind of athlete that this program went after. And you've seen that, you know, pay forward to the NFL. I think that it, it's it, it's interesting to kind of look at this program and who came out of it before and after that time, just as it is um, what was happening on the field before and after that time. And we're not going to, I mean, I don't want to make it sound like there weren't any NFL players. I mean, AJ Hawk was a very good 
NFL player um, for a long time. And Santonio Holmes was the MVP of a Super Bowl. And Eddie George, you know, was awesome in the NFL. So, so clearly there were guys, but there's more of an avalanche of guys now. So we're going to go through the defensive and offensive sides of the ball. We're going to make our Ohio State starting lineup, talk about the other guys in contention there. And then try to figure out, all right, like if you made a team of these dudes, and listen, this is not a unique exercise. Other Ohio State sites have done, I was going to say this type of thing, this very thing at times over the years, but the NFL season, you know, is a week old. Uh, it's been a week since it ended. We're getting to he- ready to head to the combat. And I will say, Nathan, to your point, I know you have some curiosity about, well, there are a couple spots where clearly Ohio State is a little short when it comes to high level NFL players, there's a couple of spots where they have, you go six deep, but they're also, uh, some of those spots are going to be addressed by this draft. So um, it is an interesting crop of Ohio state players getting ready to NF- enter the NFL. When you think about sort of currently who's in the NFL at those positions. So we'll start on the defensive side of the ball because that's really what this program has been about in a lot of ways and again Nathan it's a reminder as we go through this defense it's a reminder that it's how weird it was that we are currently sitting in a situation where they just paid a defensive coordinator 1.9 million dollars a year to come save the defense because it wasn't good enough and it's like you mean the defense that produced this collection of dudes it's a reminder of the current disconnect between this most recent Ohio State team of the last two years and really their recent history of, you know, the five to eight years before that, when they were, they had dudes on defense everywhere on a regular basis. And if, would it be surprising to go back three, four years and tell somebody that this was coming because it looked like the recruiting might be at that same level to some extent. And there are guys who just didn't pan out, didn't reach the same status as was expected either because their playing actually fell short because of injury because of whatever it just didn't come together in this um most recent cycle the way it had before and maybe because of coaching I guess we can't dismiss that so I think that you're right because it looked like everything was continuing along the same path more or less and it hasn't uh what do you want to say it hasn't you know hit the peak the way that it had been pretty consistently for a handful of years, I guess 2018 being the exception. So let's start on the defensive line. We'll start at defensive end, which is where Ohio State starts. And as we always say with PFF grades, they're a guide for something like this. They can be very useful because you're trying to look at an entire collection of NFL players, how many snaps they played, what their overall rating is. You don't want to only go by sacks and tackles and interceptions and things like that. So I did use PFF grades, not as a deter- the only determining factor, but a guide here. And at defensive end, there were 54 edge rushers in the NFL who played at least half the snaps, their team snaps this year. And of those 54, Ohio State had two guys in the top seven of PFF grade. And it's Nick Bosa was number six and Joey Bosa was number seven. So it's like, we could do, could you build an entire NFL team, the Super Bowl team out of one family? And the, the idea that the, the Bosa's are both game wreckers. Nick, 88.3 grade, Joey, 85.8. Chase Young, who I thought in the evolution of things, if, if you said when Chase 
went into the draft, if you had asked me, I would have said, when they're all done, NFL career-wise, I might say Chase has the best, Nick Bosa has the second best, and Joey Bosa has the third best. But they're all very good. They all might have you know, multiple Pro Bowls and all that kind of thing. But I just thought each was maybe a slight evolution of the next. And then Chase got hurt this year. And some people thought that Washington defense was going to be one of the best in the league, and it wasn't. And Chase was playing well, but he wasn't a game wrecker in his second year in the league like some people expected. 75 PFF grade, good. So right now, he's not where the Boses are. He might be by week three of next year, but those are your top three, and that's no surprise, Nathan, is a little bonkers, right? Well, yeah, what other program can boast that? Like, that's uh, what other college program could boast that, I think. Um, and that's, again, reflected in what hasn't been there maybe the last couple of years. I mean, they've they've missed anything really resembling that sort of presence. And that's something I would keep in the, my mind as a fan. It's like, I suppose you should expect it. I suppose you should say it's up to the coaching staff to you know go find that, go develop it. But at the same time, this this regression, if you want to call it that, has only been a regression from elite greatness back down to just sort of pretty good players. We've talked about this before. I just think that it's it's important to remember that you – it's great to strive for having a Bosa or a young on your defensive line at all times. It's also an unrealistic expectation to think it'll just happen in perpetuity. And then the fourth guy that you have to talk about there is Sam Hubbard, who graded out um, as the 39th best edge rusher among the 54 that played at least half their team snaps this year. He played, according to PFF grade, he had two PFF games this year that graded above 80. One of them was in the AFC Championship game against Kansas City, and he made the play at the end of the game on Patrick Mahomes that prevented the Chiefs from scoring the go-ahead touchdown and forced them to kick a tying field goal instead. He had another really good game in the Super Bowl. Sam Hubbard, I had some doubts about Sam Hubbard as a third-round pick coming out of Ohio State. I just thought... Maybe he winds up a tweener. I thought, I, I don't know. Does he have enough of an edge um, to for uh, to be like a, a high high level NFL guy? The Bengals signed a Trey Hendrickson as a free agent, and then that pair of edge rushers was pretty darn effective for them. And the Bengals also had some really good defensive tackles, so that line was was pretty solid. And Sam Hubbard was a very important player for a team that made the Super Bowl. And at a lot of other programs, if you said, oh, who's the best edge rusher in the NFL from your program? If you said Sam Hubbard, the guy who just attacked Patrick Mahomes and dropped him for a 20-yard loss in the AFC Championship game, the guy who just played in the Super Bowl, you'd be like, man, wow, that's, that's a pretty good place to start. And for Ohio State, he's fourth. But Sam, is he's really good. Yeah, I've been impressed watching him through this playoff run. That's obviously the first time I've like watched him extensively because I didn't get to cover him here at Ohio State. And I, as we get farther into this, I mean, just think about that, that when you start talking about, and I know we're really just kind of picking starters here, right? We're not going to do a full roster. But if you were doing this, if you were attempting this exercise, and now you're rotating in Chase Young and, um, and Sam Hubbard as your breathers, the, I think that gets – Interesting. That that starts to put you at a, a an edge rushing echelon that 
NFL teams don't really get to experience. So Hubbard, I mean, I just, he, it's one of those things that it, you can sound a person like me, who's a jerk can make it sound like it's not a compliment, but this guy, since he got in the league, he's been in the league four years. These are his PFF overall grades. And again, it's just a guy. Year one, 66.6, year two, 67.1, year three, 68, year four, 67.7. That is like solid NFL player. First year, 508 snaps, year two, 852, year three, 665, year four, over a thousand snaps. And like, do you know how hard it is to be? And that that's also including the postseason because he, he really came on in postseason. But like, do you know how hard it is to be a good, solid, long-term NFL player? Like, it's impossible. And he's doing it. So, like uh, like you said, for him to be the fourth best guy is um, just shows how remarkable this edge class is. And then Tyquan Lewis, also in the league, had 311 snaps this year. For the Colts, 71 PFF grade, pretty good. And I do want to talk about Jonathan Cooper, who graded out a 69 PFF grade as pretty good as a rookie for the Broncos. Man, he played. He really played down the stretch. You know, he's playing a a pretty major role for them, playing, you know, 35 to 40 snaps every game the second half of the season, winds up with 457 snaps, was a seventh-round pick, again, underestimated what he would be at in his final year at Ohio State in 2020, Nathan. Some people thought he'd go a little higher in the draft than he did. And then there's not a ton of seventh-round picks who – like impact their team as rookies. And he impacted the Broncos as a rookie as the 240th selection in the draft of Jonathan Cooper's an NFL player, no doubt. Well, yeah. And then throw into that whole mix, the, the having a, you know, a legitimate health issue that he had to have taken care of before he could even start his NFL career with the, the, the heart ailment or whatever he had. I mean, that's just um, a great story that is, has already happened there. And I think it might continue to develop if he establishes himself and, and starts doing what Sam Hubbard does and, and sticks around in the league. You're right. I mean, it's the, it, the guys sticking around four or five years is, um, you know, tougher in that sport than it is in any other, obviously. So um, I'm it'd be fun to follow. I, I think so. Hubbard's not a bad example for him, right? That that's, they're both um, maybe this is just my, I think they're both more athletic than maybe I think of them as right. And that I think they're both excellent dudes who bust their butts, but like, they're not try hard guys. Like they're great athletes. And as occasionally happens at a place like Ohio state, it's like, well, you know, they're not chase young. And it's like, okay, that's, that's fine. Nobody's chase young, but they're really good football players. So that is a, again, fairly, remarkable uh, group of edge rushers for Ohio state when you're talking about the NFL. All right, let's go to defensive tackle. And I will tell you that uh, on the defensive side of the ball, Nathan, when I went through all the PFF grades for all the Ohio state players, there were of the 287 players who according to PFF played half their team snaps this NFL season at every defensive position. Ohio State had seven of the top 64 players who were full-time healthy players this year. So that's top 64 players. That's, you know, the top two guys on every team in the league. And seven of them were former Buckeyes. 
Nick Bosa was number 10 overall. Joey Bosa was number 11 overall. But do you want to guess who the highest ranked Buckeye was on PFF grades as defensive players? Well, considering the juncture of the roster rat, I'm going to assume it might be Mr. Hayward. Cameron Hayward is fourth. He was the fourth highest rated player among NFL defenders this year. I think Aaron Donald was one. That's the, that's the category we're talking about here. Cam Hayward is, he might be a Hall of Famer. He is an absolutely foundational piece of a historic franchise. And he has been there forever and he's not going anywhere. And I don't think people underrate him, but it's worth stopping here for a moment of for a discussion about what this dude has done. And I know there was a little bit, I think John Clayton, the former ESPN analyst, said something during the year about, you know, Cam Hayward's not a Hall of Famer. And I think Cam Hayward might have been like, hey, what's up with that? Like he's in the discussion at the very least. And that's not nothing, but that this guy, you know, he was a first round pick out of Ohio state. Uh, it's, it's um, he's awesome. He's like, a, he's a tremendous, tremendous football player. Well, I think what maybe helps that candidacy getting to the hall of fame is he's getting better. He seems to be getting better. He's 32. This is his age 32 season. He had never made a pro bowl until 2017. He's made one every year since. He had never been first-team All-Pro until 2017. He's done that three of the last five years. The 10 sacks he had this year was uh, second highest to that 2017 season. I mean, he he's not dropping off as, as again, we said before, like it's it's hard to have long NFL careers. This game beats the crap out of you. And here he is at age 32 coming off of what might have been his best season or certainly, you know, one of his very best seasons. And a guy that you think probably has – a handful of years left in the tank, assuming he avoids other serious injury. Just um, another guy, again, that I didn't get to watch at Ohio State. But when you, anytime you watch an NFL game that Cam Hayward plays in, you see it. 11 years in the leagues, played 166 games, has uh, 68 career sacks. As you said, this past season was his second year of double-digit sacks. And certainly, you know, he benefits to some degree by playing on a, on a defensive line with TJ Watt, who was the defensive player of the year, but he's like the heart and soul of that team. I mean, he's like, he's like a, whatever steel curtain kind of guy. He's like, he's like the new mean Joe green or whatever. I mean, like he, he is, and he is a stealer through and through. And the, the story of that, that, you know, to be the son of Ironhead Hayward who played at Pitt in college and that Cameron Hayward kind of looked at Pitt as people know him, he's in the book. He's in the road to Ohio State. It's one of the chapters there. His dad passed away while he was in high school. And he sort of thought about Pitt a little bit. It's kind of his dad kind of wouldn't mind it if he went to Pitt, but he chose Ohio State. And again, that Pittsburgh connection with his dad and his mom sort of helped lead him to Ohio State. And then he gets drafted by the Steelers. And like it feels like a miracle to him that like my 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 path is now taking me back to the place where my dad became a football star. And now that he's done this in the city of Pittsburgh is. A great story, and I think everybody listening to this podcast knows it, but Cam Hayward's one of the best players in the NFL, and I do think if he continues this, again, it's hard to do. You said year 32 season, 11 years in the league. Who knows how much longer he has, but if he does this like another three years at this level and he keeps making Pro Bowls and that kind of thing, I mean, he is definitely going to have a Hall of Fame uh, Hall of Fame case, especially if the Steelers get a quarterback and 
you know, maybe get back to a Super Bowl or something before he's done. So Cam Hayward, the highest graded defensive player among Buckeyes in the league this year. Pretty good at defensive tackle than otherwise, Nathan. Draymond Jones, next highest rated guy, 614 snaps, 57.8 PFF grade. Not great, but like I, I think Draymond Jones is like, again, he's on that def- he's on that Denver defense with Jonathan Cooper, with Baron Browning, who we'll get to. Um, good NFL player. I think for a third round pick, he's a, an important part of that defense. I think he's lived up to the selection there. And then Davon Hamilton with the Jags. 443 snaps, 52.8 grade. And Jonathan Hankins, who's been around forever, man, 605 snaps for a guy who's, again, a decade in the league, 46.7, lower PFF grade. And then Tommy Togi, is a guy you got to talk about, was drafted by the Browns, really almost took a redshirt year in the NFL because I do think, I'm not saying that Tommy went early, but Nathan, we talked about that when he declared for the draft. He's a guy, it made sense. He got picked in a good spot. I'm not sure he was 1,000% ready for the NFL based on kind of one really good year at Ohio State. But the Browns played a bunch of sort of very mediocre, actually below average defensive tackles ahead of him this year. And they're going to have to recycle that group in 2022. And I think Tommy Togiai's role is going to expand a great deal. But behind Hayward, Draymond Jones, Davon Hamilton, Jonathan Hankins, not a bad group. No, and with Togiai... What's interesting, I mean, he came out as a um, a true third-year player. He was a true junior. He wasn't a redshirt guy. He only had three years. Like you said, only one was like kind of the breakthrough year. His case was always, what is this guy going to grow into? I mean, he's already obviously a massive person, but what's he going to grow into as a player? Um, again, a, a guy that it's intriguing to kind of watch what happens with him because he's obviously incredibly strong. Does he have all the other components that will make him an NFL player? Jonathan Hankins, nine years in the league, played for the Raiders this year. He started his career with the New York Giants, played four years there, had a year in Indianapolis, and now in his, uh, played his fourth year with the Raiders this season. And again, like at defensive tackle, at his size, he was always the guy that, that, that sort of introduced, took Ohio State defensive tackle sort of into the modern era of these like giant guys who can also move. Uh, uh, sort of along the lines of what you saw with the the defensive tackles for Georgia this year, big Hank's that kind of player and that he has been able to stay healthy, stay in the league. He's, he's played like he hasn't really had injuries. His, his career, 11 games, 16 games, nine games in year three, 16, 15, 15, 16, 16, 14. Again, a guy at that size, and he's still productive approaching a decade in the league. That's, that's a really good career for Jonathan Hankins who Cam Hayward and Jonathan Hankins are like that pre urban era of, of um, they kind of stand out as guys that there weren't a gazillion of them again at Ohio state at that time that you knew Cam Hayward and Jonathan Hankins were pros when they were at Ohio state. And then they sort of have lived up to what you thought they were going to be. All right, let's go to linebacker. There's there's clearly one guy here who's above the rest, and I feel good for this guy because I feel his his college career got jacked up a little bit uh, by Bill Davis, in my mind. And that Jerome Baker, in his, didn't sort of peak. His career wasn't a steady ascension. I thought 
his last year at Ohio State wasn't quite as good as his second last year at Ohio State. I think that knocked him down in the draft a little bit. He winds up going to a place with the Miami Dolphins where, you know, the Dolphins kind of have a lot to figure out. And now they still do after firing Brian Flores. But as they started to get it together a little bit, and they might, you know, they sort of rebuilt. They drafted a bunch of young offensive players. They stockpiled picks to some degree. Jerome Baker is like a, you know, he's not a superstar, but he's sort of one of like the foundational pieces of the Miami Dolphins. And for um, at linebacker, again, among the guys who played at least half the snaps for their teams, he's a 60.9 PFF grade this year. That's 23rd among linebackers in the league. And that's what I thought this guy could be. I thought this guy could have been an All-American at, at Ohio State in a little better situation with a little better positional coaching four years in the league. Now he's played 16 games, all four years. He's been in the league. Um, his tackles year by year, 75, 122, 106, 84, super productive, super reliable. I think he's super athletic. I think he's a really smart football player and I'm glad to see Jerome Baker have an NFL success. And another guy with pass rush skills, another guy who's, who's good for, you know, usually more than just a, a handful of sacks every year. And when you start talking about what this defensive front can do, he becomes a part of that. Um, it's going to be pretty relentless. So the next two guys, I think that you would, there's, there's not as many as a million options here at linebacker, but Pete Werner is probably up next. He's not, he didn't play the next most snaps. Baron Browning as a rookie this year played more snaps. Actually, he played 528 for Denver. Pete Warner played 394 for New Orleans. I think Warner was sort of like the backup at all three positions and a situational guy. But his PFF grade, when you sort on PFF, you can sort by guys who played at least half the snaps, guys who've played any snaps, even one snap, which is like, oh, he played one snap and he graded out a million. That's not helpful. But one of the things is anybody who played more than 20% of the snaps, which is, all right, at least you had a role. On PFF, if you sort by linebackers who played at least – 20% of the snaps Pete Warner's PFF grade was seventh in the league for linebackers 79.9. And this is a quote from Demario Davis. Who's a longtime linebacker, really probably the leader of the New Orleans defense. This is a quote about Pete Warner this year. Phenomenal. The way he's playing here as a rookie has just been phenomenal. And he has shown that the sky is the limit for him. And so it's just going to be all about his continued progression but he's playing light years ahead of where you expect a rookie to play his athletic ability, his closing speed, his tenacity on his tackles, his instincts, his smarts. It all speaks for itself. Just turn the tape on and you're going to see him. And so he has played absolutely phenomenal. And I'm just excited to see him continue to grow as a player. That's a dude who knows the league and has played at a really high level talking about a rookie that he thinks is going to have that kind of impact. I said it. I was probably wrong on Pete Warner all along. I just, I never of anybody I've covered here. I had a hard time getting a handle on Pete Warner and I'll blame Greg Schiano and, and Bill Davis for part of that. And I'll blame myself for the rest. This guy, maybe Nathan, I don't know, maybe has a chance to be like, make a couple pro bowls because he is athletic. He is ferocious. He is smart. And I think in a lot of ways, he's a modern NFL linebacker. And I think his versatility is going to help him too. It's certainly helped him get a foothold this year. As you said, I think he's a guy who as a, as a defense 
adjusts in any given year. Maybe his role can change if it needs to, especially early in his career. Another thing that you have to like about Werner, and I was saying it before about a different way about Togi, I think, I mean, he was only a four-year guy. He didn't, I don't think he had a red shirt. I think he's only like 22. So it's not like he's an old rookie. I mean, he's he's coming in at the right time. It's just a very natural progression for him up to, you know, what comes next. So I'm another guy. I want to finish the linebackers, but I had like kind of a bigger point about this group. Second round pick at pick 60 for the Saints this year. You, you look at his snaps, um, you know, from weeks three through nine, I think he was hurt to start the year. Weeks three through nine, 30 to 40 snaps most games. Played basically every snap against Washington in week five. Then his snaps reduced a little bit. Uh, I think they got a little healthier at linebacker. I, listen, if, if I say a thing or two wrong about the NFL, I'm not going to pretend I followed every Ohio State player in the league every game this year. And I did the best research I could, but I'm leaving for Disney World in a few hours. And so, like, stuff happens. Um, he played 65 snaps in week 16 against Miami. You know, again, not exactly a full-time role. I think they worked him in pretty well, but really high run defense grade, really high tackling grade, not quite as high in coverage. But again, like a guy who you let him track down running backs in space and read and react a little bit. We also saw him cover tight ends a lot at Ohio State, but I also think he did. You talked about his versatility, Nathan. He played different positions at Ohio State. He had different responsibilities at Ohio State. He can attack people in the run game. He can cover tight ends. And I think the Saints will find a way to use him. Baron Browning, again, probably that third guy. And then Malik Harrison, just bad luck, got shot by a stray bullet in the middle of the season in Cleveland. Like no fault of his own, but it screwed up his year. Only played 171 snaps for the Ravens. Still part of their future. You know, they're not a not locked in for a thousand percent with with that he's going to be a starter for the Ravens next year 42.1 PFF grade before he had that issue again that wasn't just he was he had bad luck so um not not as much depth maybe at linebacker as defensive end but to have like those are four pretty solid linebackers and I'm really for Baron Browning who we always thought again I just it's like a this is like a Bill Davis thing it's like hey Let's run through the NFL linebackers that Bill Davis kind of screwed up. For Baron Browning to get to play 528 snaps as a rookie for the Broncos, I think was good because I, you didn't want to see a guy with that talent get lost the way that it felt like he got lost. He played a lot at Ohio State, but maybe didn't get to maximize himself. The Broncos are finding a role for him, and I think that was a pretty good rookie year for him. All right, so we'll get to the secondary here, but if you want to have a larger point here, Nathan, let's take a breath for a second, step back. And what did you want to say a bigger picture thing here? It's just interesting to look at, and we haven't done the secondary yet, but I think I know how that's going to play out more or less. And so many just like veteran established presences on the defensive line. So many that we're going about to talk about in the secondary. And then linebacker is just this, this group that you're sort of casting about a little bit like Baker again, being legitimate, but Werner, very early on, as much as we think there are positive things that could happen for him, um, it's still a little bit speculative. You know, Browning still kind of, you know, feeling his way to whatever role he's going to have. I just, it, it, I don't know what that means as, as we evaluate like Ohio State defensively as a, as a program. What do you think it means that like it, that linebacker has been in this sort of jumbled, I don't want to say mess, but that it, it, it hasn't produced that level of talent 
and it's not just these last four or five years, though, because at every other place, every other position, you can go back to the early 2000s when guys or early 2010s, I guess, in some cases um, for guys like the the Boses and and when Hayward was coming through those guys, that seems like where the gap was more than recently as far as linebacker. Because those guys would be like established veteran presences in the NFL right now, eight, 10 years later. So uh, I think the linebacker situation shows what we've seen at linebacker. What we've talked about a lot is like they haven't developed like a superstar linebacker in a little while. And again, Bill Davis and Greg Schiano, the way he played the defense for a couple of years, missing Luke Fick a little bit. Uh, I think that's part of it. This is also a position where they've had some bad luck and a couple misses. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Ryan Shazier should just be finishing his yeah. eighth year in the NFL if he had not had the career-ending injury that he had in his fourth season in 2017. So that is a huge thing. That that guy, that's the guy that I always reference of like, when are they going to produce another Ryan Shazier? And so that is just tragic a tragic situation. Now, the, the great thing about it is that Ryan Shazier has recovered to a great degree. Ryan Shazier has written a book. Ryan Shazier has launched a media career. Ryan Shazier is having a happy, successful life, but he's not playing football anymore. And if he wasn't injured, he absolutely would be playing football. And everything that we're saying about guys like Cam Hayward and Jonathan Hankins, we'd be saying about Ryan Shazier. Hey, man, this guy just finished his eighth year in the league and he's still flying around. He's as active and instinctual and as um, disruptive as any linebacker you'll want to find. And that's not what we're saying. So that's one thing. Raquan McMillan has not had the career that I thought he was going to have. I thought he was going to have a James Laurinaitis kind of career. You put that guy in the middle of a defense, you let him call the signals, you let him set everybody up. Is he the, the greatest athlete on the field? No. Is he as a super consistent linebacker in the NFL for a long time? Yes. It just has not worked out. And I'm a little surprised by it because I think Raquan is – an incredibly intelligent, hardworking guy. And I just think in the end, he might just be like a step short of NFL starter. And then Darren Lee kind of washed out. So again, Darren Lee's a first round pick. Darren Lee and Vaughn Bell, when we get to the secondary, for instance, they're out in the same year. They're both younger players. They both were incredibly impactful for Ohio State's national championship team. Darren Lee's a first round pick. Vaughn Bell's a second round pick. Von Bell just played more snaps on defense than any other player on the Bengals. He's like a, a foundational piece of a Super Bowl team. And Darren Lee is, is, I think he's out of the league. He's bounced around a little bit, been on several teams, might be in a camp again this year, but that's part of it too, that the secondary is going to be bolstered by Von Bell and the linebackers are a little short by Darren Lee. So tragic luck with Ryan Shazier and then Darren Lee and Raquan McMillan not being not being what you probably thought they would be based on their college careers and their draft selection leaves linebackers here. But then there's also the component of Larry Johnson's turning them out and they have not had the same success at linebacker, you know, probably since Luke fickle left. And that's some of that is not coincidental. Some of that I do believe is tied to the recruiting and the coaching in that linebacker room. Yeah, I just find myself, and it's, I'm sure it's a too old school of a way to look at football. I just, I, I find myself really noticing when programs are lacking at linebacker. And we talk about Ohio State kind of the opposite way sometimes, that we look so much at like, if you can 
affect the quarterback with the rush, if the pass rush, if you can defend the pass with those guys in the secondary, then linebackers seem like very third on the list of priorities. But it just it, it, it stands out to me when programs have deficiency there um, over the years. And um, I, as we've talked about many times, this it, it, it's going to be interesting to see how Ohio State sort of um, pushes the linebacker group sort of back to I don't think it has to be in the forefront, but pushes it back to a level where you um, where you take notice of the guys playing that position again, because I feel like even in even in college, even in uh, the last couple of years, guys like Werner, guys like Browning, um, those were guys not at like the forefront of even like the way people talked about players in the Big Ten. Some of that, that you can argue that they were underrated. I'm just it, when does Ohio State kind of push back at the linebacker position and get somebody who's kind of up there in the forefront again? It feels like they need it. I, I don't think it's just a a cosmetic thing. I think they need that sort of impact at that level. Yeah, we probably have to wait till the 2025 draft and CJ Hicks. You know, because that it's not like the guys currently on the roster are going to change this at the NFL level, which is not a shot at anybody, but. You know, I mean, is Steel Chambers or Cody Simon or Tommy Eichenberg or Cade Stover or, you know, do any of those guys project as like hugely impactful NFL starters? I mean, not right now. They might prove us wrong, but I, that's that's not where our head's at when you compare them to, you know, some of the other guys on this team and what what Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to be in the NFL in a couple of years. So um, I think it's, it's reinforcing this is, you know, the league, don't, the league doesn't lie. Right. I mean, it's, you know, sometimes at Ohio State, if you a guy can get blocked or you get in a little weird situation, it's like you get to the league and yeah, situation matters and injury luck matters and that kind of thing. But like the league don't lie. So they don't have as many good linebackers as they have defensive linemen. And that that also tells you a little bit. But again, the Ryan Chazier thing is just but that's pre this era. That's pre, you know, sort of this this group of things. That's that's very early um, urban era. And and it just has not followed up lately with that kind of success all right quick break we'll come back and do the secondary before we get to the offense next on buckeye talk doug lam and nathan baird running through your nfl buckeyes corner and just like we said again it's like these guys who have started at least half the snaps for their teams 10th in cornerback rating for the 50, no, of the 82 corners who played half their team snaps or met this threshold, whatever it is, 10th in ranking, Marshawn Lattimore in New Orleans, 11th in ranking, Denzel Ward with the Browns. Marshawn Lattimore, 77.3, Denzel Ward, 76.9, both absolute lockdown number one corners that are what every NFL team are looking for i'm zero percent surprised that marshawn Lattimore is this I, marshawn Lattimore to me is still the ideal ohio state and nfl cornerback size speed physical coverage hips like everything when he's healthy and he's been pretty healthy and then denzel ward when he was drafted i did worry a little bit that he's a little bit too short and he had just some nagging, eh, miss a game here, miss a game there stuff his first couple of years in the league. He was out. I think he missed one game this past season. He was out there most of the time, played really well, saved the Browns win against the Bengals, intercepted Joe Burrow on the one-yard line on the first drive of the game, 99-yard pick six that flipped that game, and the Browns 
after Baker Mayfield came back from sitting out, the Browns won that game. Denzel Ward flipped it like absolutely impactful, certainly physical enough. Um, true number one corner is going to get paid like a number one corner might get paid. The chance that when he signs his you know new deal with the Browns that he might briefly be like the highest paid corner in the league was the fourth pick in the draft, which was higher than I thought he would go. But John Dorsey made that pick, took a corner instead of an edge rusher, and he is a foundational core piece for the Cleveland Browns. So, Nathan, those two, again, they are the Bosa and Bosa version at corner. Marshawn Lattimore and Denzel Ward. And, you know, coincidentally, two Northeast Ohio guys. Glenville High and Nordonia High and getting it done at the absolute highest level on a really consistent basis. And that is a great way to start a secondary. Yeah, I, like you said, like it, it's just like the ends. Like I don't know what other program could could really boast that right now, um, and and what better way to start? It is going to be interesting as those guys get deeper in their career. Is Ohio State still putting out cornerbacks that deserve that sort of recognition? Because it feels like we've hit a, a little bit of a bump there for the the next generation that might be coming up behind and this group that's here at Ohio state right now is going to be an interesting one to watch. How do they develop and then kind of carry that torch as it goes on into the next, uh, you know, decade or whatever. So we always talk about this group of first round corners that Kerry Combs produced, right? We, we know that group, other guys in that group, Kendall Sheffield was on a first round pick. He was a junior college guy. He was a fourth round pick when he came out, played mostly special teams in Atlanta this year, had some injury issues, kind of a weird year. Jeff Okuda has just had horrible NFL luck and has battled injuries since he came out, has basically, his first two years are basically a washout. There, like, is is not a ton to talk about there. And I don't think he's been great when he's been on the field. So, like, it's just a little odd. And you hope that Jeff Okuda can get it together because I thought he was, like, a super talented, good dude when he came out as the number three pick, and, like, it hasn't worked yet for him. And then uh, Bradley Roby, you know, has been around longer, has had a solid career in the league. I was in New Orleans this year. 395 snaps was fine, but still, you know, playing in the league. And uh, Dave Arnett blew his career up this year and was a reach, was a bad pick as a first-round corner. Mike Mayock, the former NFL network guy who became the Raiders GM, who made that Damon Arnett pick, he got fired this year. Like, it was a bad pick. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not – predicting you know i didn't know that damon arnett was gonna get himself to the point where his team was gonna have to cut him because he was you know on a video showing a gun two teams now so um like but that was a crazy pick he he, he's not you are you are what your pick so he's for always and forever a first round nfl draft pick i I didn't think on field or off field he deserved to be anywhere near that kind of player and i'm not trying to criticize the guy but like he he just he blew his own career up off the field and I don't know what's going to happen to him, but um, when we talk about first round corners, it's like, okay, well, he's not in the same class of, I think, overall player as Lattimore and Ward and Okuda and Roby and guys like that. So good luck to Damon Arnett, but he's, I mean, I don't, I don't know what's going on with him. And then the other guy who is just crazy <laughs> is Eli Apple, who, who was way overdrafted as the number 10 pick in the draft in the 2016 draft. I felt like the giants like got a spot where the guy they were going to take went right before him. And they were like, uh, uh, Eli Apple. And I was like, what are you doing? That is not, 
he's fine. He is not the 10th best player in that draft. And then like he wasn't. But again, he's been like kind of the same player his whole career. He's now been in the league six years. These are his PFF grades by year. 61 this year. First two years were in New York. He started the third year in New York, then got dumped, went to the Saints. His fourth year was in New Orleans. His fifth year, he barely played in Carolina. And then this year, he was with the Bengals. He was one of the, was like in the top four in snaps for the Bengals. His grade was not that high. But he started for a Super Bowl team, like all year. He started all year for the Bengals. And then I think he got beat by Cooper Cup for like the game-winning pass in the Super Bowl. But like he's kind of just average, but what the heck? He's been in the league for six years and he's played at least 700 snaps in five of those six years. He keeps getting paid. He keeps starting. I think most teams would look at him and say, okay, well, we probably think we can upgrade there. But the guy was a starter for a Super Bowl team this year. So the Giants picking him 10th didn't get the bang for their buck out of that selection for Eli Apple. But congrats to Eli Apple for starting for a Super Bowl team. And Eli Apple, when he starts for a Super Bowl team, is not afraid to chirp about it on social media a little bit. So it's like, oh, you know, the fans in New York or New Orleans, like, well, you weren't that good there. That's why they're mad at you. But now you were you were good enough for the Bengals to make the Super Bowl. So congrats to Eli Apple. But again, he's not. I never thought he was Lattimore Okuda ward level kind of stuff even though he was he went higher in his draft than Lattimore went in his yeah I've, I've been thinking it's been time I mentioned this before uh, kind of reset the DBU conversation the DBU debate like which school deserves that and has Ohio State dropped off of the trajectory it was on a couple years ago or because I, I at the time I wrote that I think LSU really deserved it but Ohio State was coming and it was because of Okuda and it was because of Arnett and what they were going to be able to do. And then that, that hasn't happened, but I think you could argue that Eli Apple maybe bolsters their case a little bit that, I mean, you're right. He's not great, but he isn't also a washout. He got in the league and he stayed there and he's been productive uh, enough to help a team get to a Super Bowl. So um, that I'll be interesting to see how that factors in when we finally write that down. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it, once Eli, once it did not work out with the Giants for Eli Apple, it certainly could have been the end, right? You don't make it, you end up on another team, ah, I kind of don't make it. Now you're in camp with somebody, ah, you get cut right before the season, like, and that's it. And to his credit, that has not been it. That has not been it. So, like, if, if you reach a, a spot in your profession where it's like, hey, you played in the championship game and you weren't that good, it's like, okay, well, that's still pretty high up in your profession that you started in the championship game and then maybe, oh, Cooper Cup, who was like the offensive player of the year in the NFL, beat you. It's like, okay, well, Cooper Cup beats everybody. So certainly I this has been a better career for Eli Apple than I expected, even though, you know, again, we're talking to 82 corners who played half their team snaps. Lattimore 10th, Ward 11th, Eli Apple 54th in PFF grade. So he's, he's just not at the Ward and Lattimore level, but a few are. All right, safety, like just two, two absolute dudes, two 100% just absolute rock solid dudes at safety. And one does not surprise me and one does. 
and they had the exact same PFF grade this year. And among all the safeties who played their half their team snaps, Von Bell and Jordan Fuller were tied for 18th in PFF grade, both 74.3, both played more than a thousand snaps fuller for the, and they both teams made the Super Bowl. Now the sad thing for Jordan Fuller is he got hurt late in the year. So he didn't get to play in the Super Bowl, but Jordan Fuller has a Super Bowl ring. Absolutely is a key cog of the Rams defense and Von Bell, who played his first four years in new Orleans and now is in year two in Cincinnati is an absolute key cog for the Cincinnati Bengals. So I would say these guys, that pair, Nathan, it's not quite the Bosa's. It's not quite Lattimore and Ward, but it is two legit rock solid starting safeties in the NFL. And, and I thought Vaughn would be great. I'm not surprised by this. I, I really like Vaughn. And, and, and I think I've, I talked about this multiple times. His brother passed away in a car accident in February several years ago. And now to have this February be that Von Bell's in the Super Bowl, like for that family, um, his brother Volante was just like a, a huge Ohio State fan. He was a college basketball assistant coach, was trying to move up the ranks in that, like an absolute great dude, supported his brother in a million ways. Just an, an unbelievable tragedy for the Bell family, for his life to be cut short in a car accident. And, you know, for Vaughn to go on and do this, um, like just, you just feel great for the guy because he's, I, I texted out like right before the Super Bowl kickoff, like in, in his own way, I think he's one of the more underrated players that I've covered at Ohio State because, you know, he wasn't a first round. He, he was an All-American. He was a second round pick. You know, he should have played more as a true freshman. He was like the highest ranked guy in the 2013 class. But like when you think like all time, all, you know, the best Buckeyes of the last decade, I, I don't know that you go right to him because you go to the Bosa's and Ezekiel Elliott, Michael Thomas and stuff like that. It's like, man, Von Bell is just a high level dude. But Nathan, uh, Jordan Fuller's better than I thought. I I didn't know this. And all the stuff from 2019 when Jeff Halfley was calling him like an eraser on the back end. And it was like, oh, he shuts it all down. And then when Jordan Fuller leaves, it's like, oh no, they don't have that anymore. But I still, he was a sixth round pick. I didn't think this, I didn't think he'd be an eraser for a Super Bowl champ, but he is. I thought he was a guy that we would be talking about the way we talk about like Hankins where we're like, Oh, the guy got in the league and stuck there and has been, you know, maybe a depth guy, maybe, or, you know, maybe you start, but you're not like, you know, the, 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 the key guy on the defense. And it's turned out that like, I mean, almost right away, a lot of like intangible things uh, he was earning his the respect to people there with the Rams and, um, and and this is also the one position when you look at it where you have that sort of combination of this great veteran and then a promising a, a guy who's established himself this way. I guess you would maybe also say that about about defensive end too, because Young just the injuries this year, but he obviously had a great rookie year too. So I think you'd probably say that about defensive end. But it's interesting to watch to see Bell and Fuller kind of paired up. Um and 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 there being a position where you're there's no question really that the the bridge is going to continue i think that that the torch has been passed and that von bell may only have a few years left or whatever but that jordan fuller could do this for a while jordan fuller second year in the league this year voted a team captain in the preseason for the rams he was the green dot helmet guy which is means you're the defensive signal caller you have the radio in your helmet they put a little green dot on your helmet to designate that you're the guy the rams lost john johnson the third who was like their veteran safety that the Browns signed to a huge deal 
because they needed a leader and a guy like that in the back end of the Rams were like, oh, cool, John Johnson left. We'll just have George Fuller do the same thing. So for a sixth-round pick, I mean, it is unbelievable value. He got hurt in the fourth quarter of Week 18. Like, it's unbelievable that he missed this entire – he was absolutely a core piece of the Rams' regular season. It's like JT Barrett, Barrett getting hurt in the Michigan game in the national championship year. And it's like Card- like he – he gets you to the end, literally the end of the regular season, and then doesn't get to participate in any of the postseason stuff. But you know, Jordan Fuller earned that that ring for the Rams as much as as almost anybody on that team that isn't named Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, Cooper Cup, or Matthew Stafford, right? I mean, like if you if you ran down a list, and I'm not a Rams beat writer, if you ran down a list of like the the most important Rams, right? I guess those are the top four. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure I'm showing my lack of Rams knowledge now. Is Andrew Whitworth being there? I don't know. But Jordan Fuller might be in the top 10 as a second-year guy and a sixth-round pick. So congratulations to Jordan Fuller on a Super Bowl championship. All right, this would be my starting defense, Nathan. Defensive ends, Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa. Defensive tackles, Cam Hayward and Draymond Jones. Linebackers, Jerome Baker, Pete Warner, Baron Browning. Corners, Denzel Ward and Marshawn Lattimore and Jordan Fuller and Von Bell at safety. Is that a Super Bowl-level defense, Nathan? Might that not be the best defense in the NFL? Like, <laughs> I mean, what do you mean is it a Super Bowl-level defense? You have, again, uh, uh, so I said those, those 64 guys, of the, they had seven of the top 64 PFF grades among guys who played at least half their snaps. Cam Hayward, fourth, Nick Bosa, 10th, Joey Bosa, 11th, Marshawn Lattimore, 44th, Denzel Ward, 47th, and then Jordan Fuller and Von Bell tied for 64th. That is seven, right? Most teams, as we're saying, okay, these are the top 64 guys. That's two per team. They have seven. So, yeah, right? And if you're talking about where do you want to be the strongest, edge rusher and corner, it's like, okay, well, they have like two of the 10 best edge rushers and two of the 10 best corners. So let's start there. And then they have a defensive tackle who is basically as good as anybody who's not named Aaron Donald. So let's start there. And then if you're worried about the back end, their back end guys at safety are rock solid, not superstars, but absolutely rock solid. So let's go. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that might be the best defense in the NFL and what the Bosa's enjoy meeting each other at the quarterback. Isn't that the family dream? That would be uh Cheryl and, and John would be excited to see their sons meet at the quarterback. So if that's our threshold, could they win a super bowl with Ohio state players? I think so. It's definitively. Yes. Right. On the defensive side of the ball on the defensive side, there's no question. Okay. Offense will go a little quicker. Not as definitive. Offensive tackle, Taylor Decker, for sure. Left tackle. Missed some games this year, 75.5 PFF grade. So he didn't play half his snaps. Injury issues, I think. Uh, Among the guys who played at least 20% of the snaps, 29th. So, you know, 32 teams, two starting tackles, 64 tackles. He's in the top half of tackles in the league. Like Taylor Decker's like a good, solid NFL player. First-round pick, good, solid NFL player for a bad franchise in Detroit. But. You know, they draft the Panay Sewell. I think, like, they're trying to get it together. And I think if they believe, all right, we have Decker and Sewell, I think, you know, the, the Lions think they're pretty good at tackle if they can get this other stuff sorted out in the next couple of years. Uh, other tackle rough. 
<laughs> other other tackle, a little rough. And we could ask Joe Burr about this because the other tackle is probably Isaiah Prince, who was forced into being, again, who started in the Super Bowl. So four, four Buckeyes plus Joe Burrow started the Super Bowl. Von Bell, Eli Apple, Sam Hubbard, Isaiah Prince, and then plus Joe Burrow. Remarkable. Just like that's kind of it. And when you look at guys who have been drafted at tackle for Ohio State in recent years, I think this is in the last 13 years of the NFL draft, six tackles have been drafted for Ohio State. Mike Adams was taken in the second round in 2012. He's out in the league anymore. Reed Fragel, seventh round, 2013, cup of coffee in the league. Jack Muhort drafted his second round in 2014, immediately moved to guard by the Colts, and then kind of washed out, like did not play very long in the NFL. Isaiah, uh, Jamarco Jones, fifth round pick in 2018. He's still around. He started in the league in Seattle. Then Isaiah Prince, a sixth round pick in 2019. And listen, man, if you're a sixth round pick and you wind up starting in the Super Bowl, however it happens, that's because they had an injury late in the year. That's a pretty good success story for Isaiah Prince, even if, listen, when they talked about like, oh man, they don't have any protection for Joe Burrow. Like he's one of the things they were talking about, but it's not his fault. He shouldn't be a starter. He's like a swing tackle in the league and he was forced to start in the Super Bowl. So he did the best he could. And then Taylor Decker, first round pick in 2016. Uh, they're a little short, Nathan. They're, they're just a little short at tackle here. Decker's rock solid, but this is where Nicholas Petit Frere and then Dewan Jones and then Paris Johnson should up the tackle profile of the Buckeyes in the NFL. Yeah, the, the, the future seems pretty bright there. I think it starts as soon as Petit Frere, who looks like he's going to stay at tackle, right? Unlike someone like Thayer Munford, whose future looks inside, you know, uh, reasonably certain Petit Frere will stay outside. We know DeWan Jones will <laughs> stay outside when he gets his shot. We know Paris Johnson is is destined for the outside, although now he's got this experience inside, but we think he's he's headed back outside. So I think that you talk about this in five, six years, and you're talking about it in a different way. And again, slightly reflective of the reality that we are talking about. And for instance, the offensive line coach isn't the offensive line coach anymore. And it's not like a breakdown and a complete failure and whatever, but it's just like, and they've also had some guys who, like, Thayer Munford took a tackle spot for four years and now probably doesn't project as a tackle in the NFL. Right. And so it's like, where are all the NFL tackles? Like, well, Thayer Munford is going to be an NFL guard and was a starting tackle for four years. So that was like, you could have had two more cycles of tackles through there if Thayer hadn't locked that position down. And then they've just had a couple other guys, like a Brandon Bowen, you know, played tackle for, right? I mean, it's just some guys that, weren't maybe quite NFL big time NFL dudes who did end up playing tackle there at times over the years. So like, it's, it's not the end of the world, but it's also not corner or defensive men guard Andrew Norwell, unbelievable career. Andrew Norwell among guards, 56 of them met the threshold of half the snaps. He was ranked 33rd played more than a thousand snaps this year, 66.7 grade, like unbelievable NFL career for a guy who wasn't drafted. And when he came out, he was an all big 10 player. Um, it is one of the whiffiest whiffs by the league on Ohio state guys. Since I've been around, like it, it made no sense that he didn't get drafted. Like I, we, we, we could, we could not figure out what happened because he was a no doubt about it. Good, big, Ohio State offensive lineman, and it it made zero sense. So he got drafted by Carolina 
and then signed a huge deal in Jacksonville. First four years in Carolina, last four years in Jacksonville. His PFF grades year by year. He's getting a little older, but his grades, unbelievable. Starting in 2014, 74.9, 80.1, 77.3, 76.2, 70.5, 65.5, 67.9, 66.7. So not quite the player he was in Carolina. Number of snaps, 682, 816. Over 1,000, over 1,000, 726, over 1,000, 801, over 1,000. That's an eight-year NFL career. He's put a boatload of money in the bank, and I still can't believe he didn't get drafted. But, like, he is a another he is a really good NFL player, and he's the, he's the best Ohio State Garden League. And you yeah, didn't cover I mean, him, so you don't have to do yeah, I, I don't have a lot of familiarity <laughs> with him, but that, that's, that's impressive. And, and also a guy who – who um, has had one all-pro career, one all-pro season, happened to be his last year in Carolina, and you turn that right into the big payday. You got to yeah. like that. So the guy who was actually the highest-graded guard, and, 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 and maybe he's, maybe Andrew Normal is not the best guard in the league, because maybe it's Jonah Jackson, who, again, is a foundational piece of that Detroit offensive line, played over 1,000 snaps there, there, there this year, 69.3 PFF grade, higher than Norwell, 20th among guards who played half the snaps. I, I do want to have a little, I, you know, I guess Ohio State gets him. Do you get anybody, especially in the portal world, do you get anybody that ever played for you? Do you get more credit if he ended his career with you? Do you only get, do you get credit as long as he started for you? Because like Joe Burrow was a Buckeye longer than Jonah Jackson was. But Jonah Jackson started for Ohio State. Joe Burrow never did. Jonah Jackson ended at Ohio State. Joe Burrow never did. But I guess we have to count Jonah Jackson here, right? I mean, on his draft profile, it says Ohio State. So we count him, don't we? I mean, the answer to this question is the answer to whether or not this team can win a Super Bowl, probably, right? <laughs> but I think you're right. I mean, he's, he's listed as, yeah, I mean, for the NFL, if he's being introduced on Monday Night Football, it says Ohio State next to his name, right? Well, it depends. It says whatever he wants to say. If he wants well, to say yes. the East Brunswick Swamp Monsters, he yes. can because he also could claim that. So um, third round pick, number 75 overall in the 2020 draft. Like, I'm not shocked by this, Nathan, but but this is how it works in the NFL. Sometimes it's like you find 10-year starters like in rounds three through five. It's that's that's what good NFL teams do. Uh, this guy's like a 10 year starter. He had a 57 grade as a rookie playing over a thousand snaps. Again, the grade this year, 69.3, really good run blocker, really good run blocker. And I think what we saw from him in 2019 at Ohio State, we you would have thought he was a pro. I don't know that I would have thought he was immediate starter, lock him in for a decade, which is what he looks like now. Yeah, I mean, you have to find those guys in the third, fourth round. I mean, you start 22 guys. If you're only relying on a first-round pick, yeah, it's not going to happen. Like, you've got to find guys of this quality. And um, I, I'm, not, I'm not that shocked by it either because I feel like he was a guy who um, who clearly had the talent. I mean, we saw – it wasn't just a try-hard thing for him. Like, we saw him go out there and, and really plant some guys that year, and it just seemed like he had that – enough of that X factor that he was going to, maybe I'm a little surprised at how quickly it, it's happened, but also he's playing for a terrible, terrible team. So no, Norwell and Jackson, clearly the starters, the other guy in the mix, at least based on this year is Michael Jordan, 
who it is funny all these things when like one of the, one of the major storylines of the NFL is the Bengals offensive line is bad and they're going to get Joe Burrow killed but they went to the Super Bowl anyway and like legitimately like three of the guys that are in the conversation about why the Bengals line is bad are Ohio State guys yeah so one of them's Isaiah Prince who was forced to play and really isn't good enough to be an NFL starter one of them's Michael Jordan who was a fourth round pick by the Bengals and like didn't make it and started was actually the guy who kind of missed the block that got Joe Burrow hurt as a rookie last year. And you can find stories about like Michael Jordan, like I'm going to apologize to Joe Burrow, man, I'll never do that again or whatever. He gets cut by the Bengals, winds up in Carolina, plays 703 snaps of the 56 guards that play at least half the snaps. He's 50th in PFF grade. So just like not a great NFL player. Started in Carolina, but you read stories. It's like, what's wrong with the Panthers? It's like their offensive line is one of the things that's wrong. What do they have to do? Get rid of everybody. So Michael Jordan is like a fringe NFL starter right now. And then the one that surprises me is Wyatt Davis, who basically was drafted like exactly where Jonah Jackson was, third round. Wyatt Davis played 28 snaps for the Vikings this year as a rookie. He had knee injury coming out that he had to deal with. He hurt his ankle in camp and then it got like a little sideways for him. Did not play an offensive snap. All the snaps were like blocking on extra points. And there are people in Minnesota who are kind of like, what? Cause we thought that Wyatt Davis might be a first or second round pick. We were a little surprised. At least I was that he fell to the third round in pick 87. And yes, he had injuries, but if you had lined up and said, Michael Jordan, Wyatt Davis, Jonah Jackson coming out of Ohio State. Who's going to have the best NFL career? I'm pretty sure I would have said Wyatt won. I don't know where I would have been with Jonah Jackson versus Michael Jordan, but that Jonah Jackson is only a year ahead of Wyatt Davis is like locked in. And Wyatt Davis had basically a lost year as a rookie, partially due to injury, but not only due to injury. I am a little surprised by that, Nathan. No, I'm surprised, and I, I understand if you're looking at it from the Viking fans' perspective. I mean, this is a guy who was a, you know, a two-year All-American, a a, a um, unanimous All-American, I think that that second year, right, or at least a consensus one, and um, and you think like maybe you're getting a steal in the third round, and then it turns out like, oh well, maybe there were legitimate reasons that people backed off on him. But I think the injury gives him some benefit of the doubt. He he hasn't been healthy. He played a, through a lot of injury just that that junior that redshirt junior year at Ohio State so I'm still intrigued by his long-term talent his long-term character a lot of things about him it's just going to be you don't get a lot of time necessarily to get your footing so it's pretty clear the guards are Andrew Norwell and Jonah Jackson right now and then Michael Jordan and Wyatt Davis in the mix there center they basically, Ohio State basically had four of the 32 starting centers in the league this year, which was pretty crazy. Corey Lindsley, again, I can't, I can't tell the story enough of like, I can't believe it. A thousand snaps for the Chargers, big free agent signing, 85.7 PFF grade, second highest graded center in the league. Like he's a star. If centers can be NFL stars, Corey Lindsley is a star. And I, I can't believe it. I thought he was going to wash out. He thought he was going to wash out. He was going to be one of the, like, Urban Meyer comes in and is like, hey, 
if you guys don't want to work, get out of here. And Corey Lindsley was like, oh, man, I might be one of those guys. I don't know. And then he was like, well, let's see what happens. And what happens is like a remarkable NFL career. So he is an absolute stud. Billy Price, who I thought was going to be an NFL stud and wasn't, again, drafted by the Bengals in the first round, like washed out, but they traded him right before the season for a defensive tackle that actually helped the Bengals a lot this year. And then Billy Price was the giant starting center. 62.3 PFF grade, 19 among centers, almost 1,000 snaps. If he settles in there a little bit, like I, I thought he was going to be really good. I thought he was smart. I thought he was like athletic. And I, I don't know exactly what happened with Billy, but if he gets a second life with the Giants, Brian Dable, the new head coach, like a really good offensive mind. If, if he gets locked in there and they get quarterback figured out, he might still have a chance to have a pretty good NFL career. Josh Myers, hurt. Played the first four weeks, got hurt, came back in week 18, and then played in the playoffs. 54.9 PFF grade, 349 snaps. But I think the Packers are happy. They drafted him. Was What, what round was he? Was he third round also, Nathan, Josh Myers? I can't, I I can't remember right. in my head. Let me double check. It was either third or fourth. Uh, I, think it was, I think it was third. So he's the starting center for Aaron Rodgers. So when he's healthy, that's what he's going to be. Unfortunate that he got hurt. And then Pat Elfline, who's kind of bounced around a little bit, also kind of washed out in Minnesota was a free agent signing by the Panthers this year, started the first two games at left guard. Then they had some injury things and he got moved to center and he was their center for the second half of the year. 50.1 PFF grade, not great. 534 snaps. Again, the Panthers line, Michael Jordan and Pat Elfline starting on the Panthers offensive line, most of the second half of the year. And people saying the Panthers offensive line is not very good. But Lindsley, Price, Myers, Elfline, all NFL centers. Clearly, Corey Lindsley is the guy, but that's kind of a nice little legacy of, of centers at Ohio State. And by the way, Myers was actually a second round pick. He was a 62nd overall pick. So right at the end of the, the second round. Um, yeah, and, and one that I think has a pretty decent chance of continuing. We don't know where Harry Miller is going to fit not just at Ohio state, but going forward in his football career. But I think Luke Whipler had a really solid start to his real start to his career. I know he was a second year player, but first time starter. And I thought held his own and has something to build on going forward from that. This seems like definitely a position where Ohio state has put itself in, in in a place where it's going to keep turning these guys out. All right. Tight end, not a ton to choose from Luke Farrell as a rookie drafted by urban Meyer. A little higher than we expected, like first pick in the fifth round. 255 snaps. Like didn't throw it to him at all, basically. But what else is new? 48 um, PFF grade. 39 grade catching the ball, but 66 pass blocking, 65 run blocking. So Luke Farrell's a good NFL blocker, which is what he was at Ohio State. So I do think Luke Farrell's going to stick in the league. He's not their number one tight end. There was another guy they, they, they thought in Jacksonville developed a little bit of a chemistry with Trevor Lawrence later in the year. But I think he sticks on the Jags roster long term. I don't think it's like, oh, no, he's one of Urban's guys. We don't want to, you know, I think I think Luke Farrell's an NFL player, but he's probably a second or third tight end. But everybody carries three tight ends. So if you could be a second or third tight end and you get in a blocking situations and do your job, I think Luke Farrell in the NFL will be the same Luke Farrell we saw at Ohio State. The other guy, Nick Vanette, has bounced around a little bit. Drafted by the Seahawks in the third round in 16, spent three and a half years with the Seahawks, went to Pittsburgh in the second half of 2019, Denver 2020 with New Orleans this year, 229 snaps, 57.9 PFF grade, 
The other guy recently, Jeff Hireman, uh, was picked several years ago, played five years in the league, last played in 2019. Injury issues kind of washed him out. But this is Ruckert room. A year from now, if we do this, Nathan, I think Jeremy Ruckert might be the answer here because, for instance, we're doing mock drafts for the Browns right now. The Browns have two third-round picks because they get a comp pick. And Dan Lobby, one of our Browns beat writers, did his mock draft on Wednesday, and he had the Browns picking Jeremy Ruckert in the third round. So Jeremy Ruckert, good senior bowl. I'll be curious to see where he goes. And then, Nathan, I'll be curious to see how he, he's used because I think certainly his upside is, is higher than what either Vanette or Farrell did in the league this year. Oh, oh for sure, yeah. I, yeah. I'm very curious what team decides to – to pull Jeremy Rucker. And if there's even somebody that sees enough from him through the senior bowl, through the, um, through the pre-draft process that they, they reach for him a little bit. And maybe, you know, I think, I think late second round or, or third round is not crazy for someone like him, because as you said before, you've got to get really quality guys in that range. And I think he is a guy that teams will can, can look at film. And if they're, if they're willing to look for it, they can see, where they can get a, a starting caliber player out of him, probably. Good blocker, good hands. Had a couple drops this year, but I think good, good hands, yeah. good athlete, good dude. I, I somebody will like him. So, um, but he's got to go to a place, and, and that's what I don't know how anyone could throw it to him less than Ohio State did. So, um, teams like to throw the ball to tight ends in the NFL. And so I think he has a chance to have his role in the passing game expand exponentially compared to what it was here. All right. When we come back, we'll get into the skill positions, running back, receiver, quarterback. Could the Buckeyes win a Super Bowl? The OSU NFL team with these dudes. We'll do it next. All right. Let's do running back, Nathan. Zeke's the guy, but. Zeke's not tailing off. It's just like they a little more of a timeshare with him, with Troy Pollard, um, with the Cowboys this year. 17th PFF grade among NFL running backs. This surprised me looking this up. This is actually an NFL point. He rushed for 1,002 yards this season. Nathan, would you want to guess where he ranked in the NFL in rushing yards this year with 1,002? Um, you know, probably higher than I would have originally thought, like maybe like eighth. Yeah. Seventh. Hmm. There were seven 1000 yard rushers in the league this year. Now, Derek Henry got hurt. So that was one of them, but there's so much time sharing. It's such a passing league. Everybody's throwing to their backs as much as they're handing it to their backs that it's like Jonathan Taylor and Nick Chubb. And then it is, it, you run out of guys quick. So you know, Zeke, Zeke is not quite um, as dynamic as he was right at the start of his career, which is the tale of running backs. I, I mean, Zeke is really, a, a, I think, a pretty good example of what people talk about in the NFL, Nathan, that he absolutely explodes on the scene as a, as a rookie and is like, this guy's a franchise game changer. And then he, he sort of, they have a, they have a, little bit of a tussle over the contract negotiation they wind up paying him and then since he got paid he's been good but he hasn't been spectacular and i don't think it's anything other than 
the wear and tear on NFL running backs, which is why everybody is apprehensive about big time second contracts for NFL running backs, but he's still the best Ohio state running back in the NFL. Yeah. And, and, you know, not just the, the big time second contracts, but even, you know, you don't see running backs drafted in the first round as much as you used to. And and here's another reason why, although it paid off. I mean, those first three years, he was brilliant. Yeah. I mean, it's, he's, he's, you know, as worth it. I mean, he was the fourth pick in the draft. He, he's as worth it as any guy recently. And it, and it's not like he's not productive. He, he is helping the Cowboys win, but they also have sort of worked in another guy and, you know, who wasn't a, a super high draft pick. So uh, it's just the reality of the situation for Ezekiel Elliott. Carlos Hyde played a little bit. That kind of was an urban thing. 53.8 grade, 253 snaps. Urban signed him in Jacksonville, was playing him over James Robinson. A lot of people were like, what's going on there? So like, I, I think Carlos Hyde is winding down. He's been a nice solid NFL running back. If he's your number one back, you're, it's not good enough. If he's a timeshare, if he's your number two guy who gets some carries, I think, I think that could work. So on our Ohio state NFL team, Nathan, if Zeke's your number one and Carlos is your, is your number two, I I think that would work. I think that would be enough. Um, The two other guys that, that are interesting, JK Dobbins, who this should have been his second year, missed the whole year because he got injured in camp. I I can't wait to see. We, we always compare JK Dobbins and Jonathan Taylor because they were, had the same, career timelines in the big 10 at Ohio state and Wisconsin. They were battling for all Big 10. They were battling for all American honors. You know, I was sort of like, I, I, I did kind of like JK more than Jonathan Taylor. I actually thought Jonathan Taylor maybe wasn't going to be great in the NFL. Cause I thought maybe he was going to be more of a product of that system. And it turns out like Jonathan Taylor talking about workhorse backs who's way over a thousand yards. He's the top of the list in the NFL this year. So Jonathan Taylor exploded this year, Nathan and JK Dobbins didn't get to play a snap. And not that JK Dobbins is basing his NFL career off Jonathan Taylor, but their paths absolutely diverged. And I can't wait to see what JK does in year three in the NFL, but really his second season in 2022. Yeah. And I mean, J.K. Dobbins has to worry about the problem in front of him, but I can't imagine that there there isn't some part of him that isn't making that comparison a little bit too, right? You're aware of that. You know how how closely the you guys were compared in in college, and um, you've you've both got this opportunity, and then yours, no fault of your own, gets sidetracked. So probably just a little extra motivation, but he's on a, a, a at a great franchise and a, a great place for running back. And I, I think you know what he did as a a, a rookie had set him up for a big year this year. It wasn't like he was just plodding along. I mean, he, he looked like he was, you know, I think he averaged six yards a carry or something like that as a rookie. So um, I would not be surprised at all. If JK Dobbins had his own breakthrough in 2022. And they were planning, they had a bunch of injuries at, at running back. The Ravens did this year, but he was going to be the starting running back. He wasn't right. the number one running back as a rookie. They kind of worked him in. He was going to be the number one running back. So he will be the number one running back next year for a Ravens team that missed the playoffs, had a really rough year with injuries, starting in the backfield and then continuing through Lamar Jackson. So he's still an important piece of the puzzle. And of of any Ohio State NFL guy, if you said, you know, five Ohio State guys to watch in the NFL in 2022, J.K. Dobbins is at the top of that list because I want to see what happens with him. And then Trey Sermon, again, who does it count for? Whatever, like overdrafted I, I like I, just like in incorrectly drafted and that's on the Niners that's not on Trey Sermon but 
he basically like didn't play for them this year. And he was a third round pick and Elijah Mitchell was a sixth round pick. And they were both rookies this year. And like Elijah Mitchell was their number one running back when it wasn't Debo Samuel. So they played a bunch of dudes at running back. They turned a receiver into a running back and Trey Sermon basically did almost nothing the whole year. So um, good luck to him in getting it together. He played 55 snaps. He played um, no more than 19 in a game. And after week five, he only played in one other game. I think he did have some nagging injury stuff, but I'm not everybody on this podcast. I always was skeptical of Trey Sermon. And then he karate kicked his way to 900 rushing yards in a single game. And I was wrong and he was right, but I I don't know what the Niners were doing, picking him in the third round. So good luck to him trying to figure out, but especially at that position, that's like, I don't think he's a number one NFL back. I never thought that. Well, I mean, I guess I understand what the Rams or what the, what the Niners were thinking, picking him in the third round because they had to find somebody and the guy that they ended up finding as yes, the sixth rounder, but then also Samuel who isn't, excuse me, who isn't a running back ends up being kind of their fix at running back. So um, I I guess I understood the position they were in, why it was maybe why they were reaching a little bit, but I agree that it it did seem like a reach, but, but also someone, I mean, he started a couple games this year. Maybe there's a a path for him to build towards, you know, a a longer career. I just don't think it will be as a frontline guy. Hurt his ankle, covered a punt, went on IR in week 12. I mean, it, it's not, it wasn't only performance. There was some, some injury stuff that, that got in the way for him too. But um, I'll see where that goes. But I think, Nathan, between Zeke and Carlos Hyde and with J.K. Dobbins healthy, getting healthy in the wings, I, I, think, I think our Ohio State Super Bowl team is, is in decent shape at running back. You feel pretty solid about it? I do because I think – as I've talked about before, I mean, you can you can cobble together production there from a, a lot of different sources, as the Niners showed, frankly, this year. Um, but but with Elliott at the top there and making him, even if you make him more of a true lead back again, you're in good shape. Okay, let's get to receiver. And this was actually a little surprising to me because you take Michael Thomas out of the equation and that really hurts. Michael Thomas missed the whole year foot and ankle injuries had come off 2020 where he had some disagreements with the franchise. He got suspended for a game for a practice incident, but this was all injury in 2021. And it sounds like Sean Payton's gone. They hired Dennis Allen, defensive coordinator as our new head coach. And I was just reading something like, it sounds like it's back on track. No issues with the organization recovering from the surgery he had should be back. I mean, this guy was one of the best receivers in the NFL, so I guess we'd probably start him, but like he didn't play this year. He couldn't have played it in the Super Bowl this year for the Ohio State NFL team. And that means the best receiver this year for Ohio State guys in the NFL is clearly Terry McLaurin, who, again, more than 50% of the snaps at his position, 14th in PFF grade, 78.3. And this is for a dude who has never had a quarterback. And if Washington ever gets a quarterback and everybody always has them drafting quarterbacks, if they draft Kenny Pickett, you find a lot of Kenny Pickett to Washington. You find a lot of Matt Corral to Washington. You might find some Malik Willis to Washington. I think a lot of people think the commanders are going to, I almost want to call them the commandos. That's not right. The commanders 
are going to pick a quarterback, but Terry McLaurin has been remarkably productive for a guy who is, is dealing with one of the five probably worst quarterback situations in the league. Yeah. Um, I, it's not just a story. I don't think that's even just a, a narrative among Ohio state fans. I think across the NFL, people have sort of pinpointed him as a guy that like, how is he doing what he's doing under these circumstances? Imagine what could happen if you put someone there who was one of the, you know, 15 best quarterbacks in the NFL, like what they could do with a, a talent like him, or in a couple of years, he's going to be a, a very, very, very highly sought after free agent option for someone. Rookie year in 2019, 58 catches for 919 yards, 2020, 87 catches, 1,118 yards, 2021, 77 catches, 1,053 yards. Remarkably productive, remarkably consistent, great route runner, top end speed, top shelf dude, leader, like everything you want. And didn't get the show at Ohio State, just like Michael Thomas didn't get the show at Ohio State. And, and Nathan, we had talked about on a, on a podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago, wow, what, what, what my, Michael Thomas's stats had been at Ohio State if he was part of like this Ryan Day 2021 offense. And I did the stats and I sent them out to the texters and Basically, Michael Thomas, his last year was the same percent of the of the passing offense that Jackson Smith and Jigba was this year. So it's basically the exact same stats. It's like 95 catches for 1,600 yards. If Michael Thomas got to play with an offense that threw it this much, Terry McLaurin, you could almost do some of the same kind of stuff because like they, mm-hmm. but they were spreading it around so much, and it was the beginning of Ryan Day, but it wasn't the fully evolved Ryan Day, right? It was it was Ryan Day as a coordinator. And clearly Terry McLaurin was a big part of what they did in 2018 with Dwayne Haskins throwing it around to everybody. But if you focused on Terry McLaurin and fed him, I mean, this, this guy was a better player than we realized at Ohio state. He's showing it now. So Thomas and McLaurin, again, the Thomas thing, but if you can't play Thomas, it gets a little dicey here. I think you, I think you would though in this exercise. I mean, yeah, he missed this year. Injuries were part of it. And the last time he played a full season, which I know was all the way back in 2019, but he was the people were wondering if he was the best player in football. So I think you would include him here. I think he'd be your starter here. Okay. So if we start those two guys, then behind it, Paris Campbell missed 11 games this year with the Colts has only played 15 games in three years. It's, it's his horrible injury luck, horrible, horrible. And everybody in Indy feels terrible about it. I thought Paris was overdrafted in the second round. He is a rare combination of size and speed. I wrote it at the combine, but I think he's, He's not the fully complete NFL receiver that I think you want to be taking in the second round. He helps their offense when he's healthy. It's not his fault. It's some weird luck, but um, it just like hasn't popped yet. KJ Hill drafted by the chargers. We thought he got drafted too late in the seventh round, barely plays. And then Curtis Samuel, weird, crazy, terrible luck. Also groin and hamstring injuries in Washington this year, only played five games, had 38 yards from scrimmage. But then I saw someone write a piece since the season ended. Could Curtis Samuel be Washington's version of Debo Samuel? Because Debo Samuel, they figured out, is a receiver who can run it. Curtis Samuel is a receiver who can run it. He did it at Ohio State in 2016. He was Ohio State's best receiver and their best running back. I still think Curtis Samuel could blow up in the NFL. But, like, it hasn't happened yet, Nathan. And I'm a little surprised by it. I thought, I thought Carolina didn't do the best job of using him. And I thought he was going to go crazy when he got to Washington, but again, no quarterback and the injuries. 
this is a guy who's been around for a while, but is still mostly potential. Yeah, again, another guy that I didn't get to see in his his Ohio State prime, but that's intriguing to think of him as a, a Samuel kind of deal. Um, and I don't know, like, what what does I don't know the situation for Carolina with, um, or I'm sorry for Washington um, as far as what else they have there. But I think that's it's it's definitely an interesting wrinkle because why have a, a versatile guy if you're not going to use their versatility? Yeah, no, they don't have a running back that would stand in his way. I don't think in Carolina, his last year in Carolina, which is why I got paid in free agency. They did start to figure it out. He had 77 catches in 2020 for the Panthers for 851 yards. He had 41 carries for 200 yards. So over a thousand yards from scrimmage um, with, you know, 110 touches for the Panthers in 2020. And it was like, man, it was like, okay, here we go. Year five in Washington, new team. They went and got him to really figure out how to use him. Then he got hurt. So I still think there's a lot of potential there, but if we're starting McLaurin and Thomas and filling in with Campbell and Samuel, how do we feel about that? Nathan? Uh, the, I think that's fine because those first two guys are as good as anybody's got in the NFL. Like, right. That one, two is as, is as good as potentially if Thomas returns to form or anything really close to it, that's potentially as good a one, two receiver punch as anybody's got. And a year from now, when we do this exercise, is it? Do you think it's very possible that when we're starting about talking about starting receivers, we could be talking about Garrett Wilson and or Chris Olave at this level? Do you think it's possible that Wilson and Olave get in the league and and do big things right away as rookies? A year from now, no. If Michael Thomas returns to what he was doing before, because I still think McLaurin will be better than those two guys. But it definitely, we wouldn't be sitting here having a conversation about like, oh, what do you do after those two? I think it would be like, oh, look at the depth you have here. The same way we talked about kind of, it'd be like defensive end a little bit. And I guess actually we're going three wide because we're not playing two tight ends. So right. actually we need a third receiver anyway. So if right now, the th- if it's Thomas McLaurin and your third receiver is either Samuel or Campbell, if they're healthy, it could be Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave as that third True. guy next year. Yeah. I was having a conversation on a podcast the other night um, I just think Chris Olave is the number one receiver. I'm, excuse me. That's not what I think. I think Garrett Wilson's a number one receiver in the NFL. I actually think Chris Olave might be perfectly suited to drop into like a winning team with a good quarterback and a number one and be their number, number two right away. And that could be totally wrong. I'm wrong on guys all the time. Sam Hubbard is much better than what I thought. I thought Malik Hooker was going to be a star. We'd even mention Malik Hooker has battled injuries as well. You know, but but Jordan Fuller and Von Bell were our starting safety. Malik Hooker is is kind of like trying to bounce around. He's actually a free agent. I wouldn't mind the Browns getting in on Malik Hooker on a cheap price. Um, but that's just how I see them, and and we'll have plenty of time to talk about that. But I, I think Garrett Wilson, who I want the Browns to draft, and in my Browns mock draft, I have the Browns taking Garrett Wilson at thirteen because I think he can be their number one receiver immediately and have a thousand yards as a rookie. I, I just think he has every part of it. Slot, outside, explosive, reliable, good route runner, good athlete, super smart. Like, I just like every part I got about Garrett Wilson. So I think he could jump into this list very quickly, which leaves quarterback. You're a Bears fan. Do we count Joe Burrow? I didn't. Wait a second. That was an interesting. That was a... I know. Well, we'll explain that segue, I guess, in a moment. <laughs> I'm not counting Joe Burrow. Is that I wouldn't. wrong? No, I wouldn't. I mean, I think it's – he didn't really play at Ohio State, really. 
and he didn't end his career at Ohio State. So I know he was there, um, but I think you would really be I, – I don't know. I think if you start doing that, then there's – there. if you really want to have fun with this exercise, how much are you opening yourself up to every other team in the – every other college program in the country getting to just take little fractional pieces of players and, and claim them? But, so I think – if Oklahoma, if you're doing this exercise for Oklahoma and Oklahoma wanted to claim Trey Sermon, I think that would be okay because Trey Sermon played kind of a lot for Oklahoma. I think if you were doing this exercise with North Carolina State and they wanted Russell Wilson to be their quarterback, I think that would be okay because he started multiple years at North Carolina State. But if Wisconsin wanted to claim Russell Wilson, I think Wisconsin could also claim Russell Wilson. So mm-hmm. I think if you played at the place where you, if you started for the team that you did not end with, if Rutgers is doing this, they want to claim Jonah Jackson. I think that's okay. I think if you ended your career with the team and that's the team that they list when you drafted out of, I think you certainly can be claimed by them. And if you started for the previous team, I think it's okay, but Burrow doesn't fit either of those for Ohio state. So he gets a sideline pass and he can hang out on the sideline and watch and root for the Ohio State team in the Super Bowl, but he can't start at quarterback for them. We are united on that. Yeah, I think maybe your earlier standard that, like, if you start somewhere, I mean, Russell Wilson, not only did he start it at NC State, he has a degree from NC State. Like, he was fully NC State. So, yeah, I think it's a, it's a completely different situation. Joe Burrow has a degree from Ohio State. Joe Burrow did graduate before he left. But didn't but play. He never played. So then it's Justin Fields. And this is why you're a Bears fan. It's not Dwayne Haskins. Dwayne Haskins is in Pittsburgh. Big Ben is done. Nobody is talking about Dwayne Haskins, at least for now, being the next quarterback of the Pittsburgh Steelers. So I, I don't know what has happened with Dwayne. He, I don't know if it's irreparable. I, I At the moment, I, I, it doesn't feel like he's ever going to be a starter in the NFL again. Maybe I'll be wrong. Good luck to Dwayne. It's got to be Justin right now. And in a couple of years, it might be CJ. Can you win a Super Bowl with Justin Fields right now? If you have a if you have a pretty decent offensive line, a great defense, and you're throwing it to Terry McLaurin and Michael Thomas and handing it off to Ezekiel Elliott, can you win a Super Bowl with Justin Fields? Or make the Super Bowl? We're not trying to win it. We just want to make it. We want to. Make oh, we just it want to make it. Um, boy, that's a great question. <laughs> I feel like we're running out of time and you've hit a question that deserves the most pondering. I mean, he, he was, he showed some flashes of things this past year. Obviously the bears were in a, uh, they were headed for a year of transition anyway. They, you know, they fired the coach. They've, they've overhauled some things, you know, he, he didn't complete 60% of his passes. He had more interceptions and touchdowns, but he did show some of that, you know, that breakaway ability as a runner he had some moments even as a passer. I'm, I'm still very skeptical of just the talent that is around him in Chicago and how quickly they can fix that. So I'm still – to, to get to a Super Bowl, like when was the last time a quarterback that shaky on an otherwise really good team got to a Super Bowl? Yeah, I don't know. It feels like we have a Justin Fields podcast ahead of us. Listen, the, one, of the, one of the things is they – Matt Nagy got fired. Matt Eberflus is the new head coach, but they brought in Luke Getze, who was the quarterback's coach for the Packers, to be the new offensive coordinator. And being the new offensive coordinator for the Bears means set Justin Fields up for success. So he's got the traits to succeed, but right now, is he a Super Bowl NFL quarterback? Probably not. 
What's interesting about that hire, I was talking to my father-in-law about this recently, a uh, Bears fan from the Chicago suburbs. Um, when early on in, in Fields' career at Ohio State, who was the quarterback that you found yourself comparing him to a lot? Just in terms of like style of play, Aaron Rodgers. And now they've gone and got the Packers offensive coordinator. I just, I'm curious about that. I'm intrigued by that as a, as a Bears follower. So, and he had no guys, right? I mean, like they had Allen Robinson, like if he's throwing a Terry McLaurin and Michael Thomas, that really helps. If he's handing it off to Ezekiel Elliott, that really helps. Justin has all the traits. He just needs the experience. He needs better coaching. And I, I put most of, much of what happened to him in year one is A, being a rookie. Peyton Manning was one of 15 as a rookie, right? And two, bad coaching. They, they did not set him up to succeed in any way, shape, or form. And three, not that much skill around him. So he fought through. I think Justin's still going to hit in this league, and he's got to be the quarterback for this team. So sorry, Justin. Buckeyes need you, man. Suck it up. This is the team offensively. Left tackle, Taylor Decker. Left guard, Jonah Jackson. Center, Corey Lindsley. Right guard, Andrew Norwell. Right tackle, Isaiah Prince. Starting receivers, Michael Thomas, Terry McLaurin, and Curtis Samuel. Nick Vanette at tight end with Luke Farrell coming in as a second blocker. Ezekiel Elliott in the backfield and Justin Fields at quarterback. Nathan, I got to get out of here. Is that offense good enough for this Ohio State team to get to the Super Bowl? Hmm. Because the defense is so great? Yeah, I think it might be. And they think and just you, you simplify the offense a little bit for a young quarterback and just say, like, get it into Samuel's hands, get it into McLaurin's hands. We're going to we're going to scheme Thomas open here. The line is a little right. The, the right tackles a little bit, but actually this is where Justin's mobility is really going to come in handy. All right. Isaiah Prince got beat. Get out of there, Justin. We're going to do some rollout stuff. We're going to flip some little stuff. It might be good. It'd be nice to have a little bit more of a pass catcher at tight end which is why Ruckert coming in the league will be pretty good. But I think this defense can dominate and the offense can be good enough. So I think we are united in our conclusion that an Ohio State team, all Buckeyes, would have a chance to get to the Super Bowl. And that's that podcast. All right. Thanks to you guys for listening. Different kind of exercise. Combine coming up soon. We're going to have great stuff coming from there. Always have interesting stuff popping your way. Recruiting podcast ahead this week. We just appreciate you guys joining us here on Buckeye Talk. For Nathan Baird, I'm Doug LaMaurice, and that was Buckeye Talk.